Well, I want to preach a message this morning. It's kind of, we're in between series. We're in between our relationships goals. The last three months, we've had uh, three great series. We've talked about the secret of joy as we've looked into Philippians. Uh, we've done the whisper campaign about how to hear God's voice. And then we've just done relationship goals, all phenomenal series. And of course, we're uh, heading into uh, summertime. We're heading into our series right now. Uh, we're heading into next week of two Christmas services. And I just want to preach into that this morning and help us as we uh, remember what is really important to us as a church, our number one. One of the, the greatest uh, New Zealand aviation tragedies, some of you will remember, it happened in 1979 when a, a passenger jet carrying 257 people left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica. They'd done it for three years to fly over Antarctica. Unknown to the pilots, however, there was a minor two-degree error in the flight coordinates. Two degrees, just tiny little error. This placed the aircraft, by the time it got to its destination, 28 miles east of where the pilots thought they were. As they approached Antarctica, they began to descend to a lower altitude because that's what you did so that all the passengers could see the landscape. They were experienced pilots, but neither had done this particular flight before and had no way of knowing that they, they had the incorrect coordinates and where it had put them right in the pathway of Mount Erebus. It was an active volcano uh, frozen in the landscape 12,000 feet above. And sadly, without seeing it, the plane crashed directly into this volcano, uh, killing everybody on board. It was a tragedy brought about by a a, an error of two degrees. I want to talk to us today about how uh, the direction that we set of our lives and the direction we set of our, on our church, if we're off one or two degrees, how in years to come or weeks to come, that can have significant impact on the kind of church we are and the kind of people that we are. I want to talk about our true north, our true north. True north is a fixed point. It's where the North Pole is. And as we prepare for Christmas, we all know Santa's doing his best work right now at the North Pole, true north. Uh, it's, it's a geographical specific location. It's where between the North Pole and the South Pole is where there are geographical lines of longitude that connect the two. And so if you, were, if you wanted to get to the North Pole or the true north, of course, what you'd think is, well, I pull out a compass and, I, and it points me towards north and I follow the compass and surely it will get me to the North Pole. And of course, if we thought that, we'd be wrong because we'd end up somewhere in the Canadian Arctics because the true north and the compass north is different because the compass north relates to, to magnetics and that, the, the magnetic pull of the earth and therefore it will vary from season to season depending on the core and the iron ore in, this, in, in the earth. See, we, we need to not necessarily uh, be changing and adjusting if we're going to get to the North Pole because it's a geographical destination and a compass could take us completely just a degree or two off but end up in the wrong place. True North. Jesus gave the true North for the church in his last words in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and told his disciples just before he ascended to be with his father. And he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Everybody say, make disciples. When it says all nations, it's talking about of all people groups. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus made it very clear that the true north, his last words, and it was it was a reflection of his whole ministry, that the true north for the church, and if you're a Christian here today, the true north for you and I is that we would be focused on reaching people who are disconnected from God and helping them become disciples of Jesus who will eventually have that same focus. That's our true north. Now, just as it's easy to get one degree off, it's, uh, and I'm preaching to myself today as much as to anybody, it's as easy to get one degree off and suddenly miss uh, where God is wanting us to be. And churches have been famous for doing this for years. Jesus uh, talked to a tax collector, an outcast, and his name was Zacchaeus. And he said, I'm coming to your place. I'm going to come and have a meal with you. And he came and he had a meal with Zacchaeus. And it was, it was criticized by the church people, the religious people. They said, what's he doing? Doesn't he know he's a, he's a rat bag? Doesn't he know he's not holy? Doesn't he know he's not one of the in crowd? They, they, they thought true north was all about keeping yourself separate from sinners. And Jesus said, no, it's not. True north is, and he made this statement in Luke 19, verse 10. It says this, for the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's the true north for every Christian and for every church. When the, his disciples got sent out to, to, uh, to pray for and preach the gospel and tell people the kingdom of God is coming and, and to heal the sick and to, and to cast out demons the way Jesus did as a sign that pointed people to Jesus. They came back, and this is what the story says in Luke chapter 10. The 72 disciples returned joyfully reporting to him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we, when we used your name. It was amazing. They were flying everywhere. People were falling over. People were getting healed. They're like, it was amazing. Yes, Jesus said, mm -hmm. I saw Satan fall from lightning from heaven. If you want to know a really good deliverance party trick, that was the big one. Satan from heaven like lightning. Okay, so just tone it down. He says, look, yep, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But Jesus is having a little one degree course correction conversation. But... Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. It's awesome that you're preaching the gospel and you're using the power of God to heal people and cast out demons. That's awesome, but let's not forget that our true north is to see people come to a faith in Christ and have their name registered in heaven. I... I like this whole idea, I, I have what I call the, the more joy test. And the more joy test is just a test for, for me to ask myself periodically. And I suggest it's a test for you to ask yourself periodically the same question. What is giving me more joy than anything else in my life at the moment? 
What is giving me more joy? Am I aligned to the priorities of God? Am I getting what, what, what's giving me more joy? You see, in Luke chapter 15, in a whole chapter, Jesus tells three stories, a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. And at the end of each story, he, he makes this comment when, when each are found. He says, in the same way, there is more joy. Everybody say more joy. More joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and are having a great church service on the right-hand side. That was my paraphrase. There's more joy in heaven over one person repenting, one Tony saying yes to God than 99 people having a bless me club on the side. Oh, okay. Hang on a moment. It's all right. It's going to get even worse. God says that my priority, Jesus said, I came to seek out and to save the lost. I want you to go and make disciples. I, I had a conversation with someone a little while ago along these lines of just, how's my heart? So today I want to do a heart check for you, for me, for us. What do we get more joy out of? You see, because you can start out right it's like, okay, God, you've given me the gift of giving, so I want to prosper so that I can give money to fund winning lost people. And I start out there, but one degree off, and I start to get more joy out of prospering than out of giving and seeing the results. Just, sorry, it's getting cold. Uh, I pray for power. And I say, God, would you use me to work miracles and to see people healed? But one degree off, and I've got more joy over seeing someone fall over when I pray for them or them getting healed than that one person getting born again. I, I, I get excited about feeding people in our community, meeting their needs for Christ. But after a little while, and their whole denominations that this is their story, the fire for winning people to Christ goes out but the fire for doing good deeds continues. It's awesome to pray for the sick. It's awesome to cast out demons. It's awesome to make stack loads of money to finance the, the church and the, the kingdom of God. It's awesome to do great things into our community, but true north has to always be that we're doing this all to reach the lost, to make disciples, to see people connected to God. Last year, I had a conversation uh, the week after we had Jeff Wilson. Remember Jeff Wilson, the Polar Express guy, dragged the boob sled behind him all around Antarctica, raising money for, for breast cancer. It was, and he's just inspiring. I had uh, about uh, 10 people from my boot camp come along to hear him. Most of them never been to church before. It was just this great experience for us. And we like to do those sort of events. And next week, I had a conversation with, with someone who's no longer in our church, but, but at that point was in, a, in our church. And, it was, and I just said, oh, wasn't last week really good? And she said to me, oh, I didn't come. I said, oh, how come? She goes, oh, I came a couple of years ago and heard him. So... I didn't, want to, I didn't need to hear him again. And, I, and in my, my heart sank because I thought, that's, that's 10 years down the track from one degree off. Where church is about me 
and my needs and me getting fed and me getting entertained or whatever it might be. And there's like a sadness in my heart because I'm going, well, it's not, wasn't actually about you. We, we have events and we do things so that if you're not getting something out of it, that's why we've got a crash so that someone could drop their kids off and they could get something out of it and you could look after their kids. That's why we have a coffee team to make coffee. That's why we have, that's why we have people putting out chairs and opening car doors and smiling. That's why, that's why there's 12 teams every Sunday going, going for it so that not that I can get something out of it, so that someone else can get something out of it. And if, if, 10, if 10 people in that moment gave their life to Christ and my response is, well, I didn't get much out of it, it tells me that at some point, one degree took me into a journey of starting well, but this Christian journey is about me and what I get out of it. Now, I understand, oh, he's, he's preaching today. Let's go. I, I understand for all of us that, that there's a, there are passions that we have and gifts that we have and things that we do to contribute to the overall thing. But I want to know that for us, C3 Powerhouse, that when there's this altar call moment in our services, that we don't go, well, the worship's done, the preaching's done, I'm out of here. But we actually go, come on, God, this is the pinnacle moment. This is the moment where you're stirring in hearts. This is and there's been a build-up in people's lives. Pastor I admire gave me these statistics recently. For those who are not brought up in church, like in Christian families, 92% of first-time salvations happen either on a Sunday or in youth ministry. 92% of salvations happen on a Sunday or youth ministry. So that means as a Christian, I've been a Christian all my life. And there was a journey where I had to go, I've got to make some degree changes so that, so that when I come to church, I'm expecting as I make it about others, I'm expecting God's going to fill me and meet my needs. And I know there are some seasons where, where I just need a little break and I need a rest and I need, I need God to minister to me, but I'm going to get back in the game as soon as I can because I want to align my heart to the priority of heaven. Is there more joy in your heart? when one sinner repents than anything else in your Christian journey. And if there's not, I pray God you'd break our hearts with what breaks your hearts so that our priority aligns with heaven's priority. Now, here's what it looks like for us. Let me just get practical for us in terms of uh, as soul winners. I have this belief that that maturity as a Christian is discovered in the expression of the fivefold ministry. Let me just go deep teacher for you for two minutes. Fivefold ministry, Jesus said, I want the church to have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, those five things. I believe that the reason he did that, and it goes on, he says, this is Ephesians, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not to do, so it's not that we have pastors so that they do all the pastoring and evangelists so they do all the evangelizing and teachers so that they do all the, all the Bible reading. The role of those things is to, because it goes on to, to bring the body to full maturity. 
So therefore, I'm becoming mature as a Christian where one, I realize the apostles about leadership, uh, that my life's not for me, but it's to help other people. Where uh, prophetically, I learn to hear God's voice and, and tune into God's voice and become an encourager to others. That's a, that's a sign I'm maturing. That I'm uh, pastorally, I'm meeting the needs of my family around about me. And, I, and even when I don't want to connect with others, I make the effort because I'm maturing as a Christian. My Christian walk's not about me. I'm part of a body. When, when I'm, I know the way, I, I read the Bible, the teachers inspire me to read the Bible and to know the ways of God. And the evangelist has helped me to be a soul winner and to reach out to people in my community and my street. And I know that I've become mature in Christ, not by the amount of Bible verses I can quote. But the fact that I've decided I'm going to lay my life down to help others. I'm, I can hear the voice of God for myself and to be an encourage. All of those things, that's the sign of maturity. So therefore, sometimes if we, we have this kind of message at church, I know how it goes. It's like, uh-oh, here comes the E message. Evangelism. And you're like, la, 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 la. Because you're like, I'm not an evangelist. Come on, who's not an evangelist? Give me a wave today. That's not a trick question. Like 90% of us in the room are not evangelists. Okay, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my gifting. However, the Bible tells us that even though we're not evangelists, we need to be soul winners. That's a, that's a mature sign of a believer. An evangelist is someone who, who someone serves them coffee and then they sneeze and they go, oh, you should get saved. And they go, oh, yeah, awesome. I'm saved. That's awesome. Fantastic. Just, oh, wow. It's like you have a conversation and everyone's on their knees crying out to God. It's I'm not that person. I'm like, give me the coffee and make sure it's awesome. That's, that's what I'm at. I'm, I'm just a little bit of, <laughs> if it's not awesome, I'll go to another place. Let's that's, that's just, just be honest, all right. So, but I've had to learn that maturity is, okay, if they're evangelists and if 10% of us statistically are evangelists, you're here to not guilt us, but to inspire us, to heat the passion up, to help us be fired up about reaching people far from God. But I'm, I, although I'm not an evangelist, I need to be a soul winner. Proverbs says, he who wins souls is wise. Is wise. Paul says to Timothy, you should do the work of an evangelist. He's obviously not, but you should do that work as a pastor. And yes, we'll give altar calls and, and there are moments people respond to God, mostly because the soul winners, all of us, have reached people and brought them to church and helped them to connect with God. So, Because uh, it, it goes like this. You, you can't go, well, I don't have the gift of giving. So okay, stuff your hampers. I don't have the gift of giving. I'm not giving anything. I don't have the gift of singing, so I'm, I'll come at the end of worship. I don't have the gift of intercession, so no prayer meetings for me, Pastor. That's, you do all the praying, and the, the, the intercessors, they do the praying. I don't have the gift of serving. That's a gift. So I don't have that gift, so don't expect me to serve. I know, right? Harsh message, Pastor. What are you doing to me? No, I'm just saying that all of these things, they're signs of maturity. A mature person serves. A mature person in, in faith worships. A mature person gives. A mature person, the more I'm like Jesus, the more generous I become. The, a mature person uh, leads, even though they might not be gifted in leadership. They're like, well, I'm here to help other people become followers of Jesus. I'm a disciple maker. And a mature person is a soul winner. 
All right, so let me give you three things in 12 minutes about how to be a soul winner. The first thing, this is, gonna, you're gonna, this is good news. Now we get to the good news. I'm just helping shock us into our true north. Course correction if we need it. Number one, find your people. Find your people, your kind of people. See, an evangelist might get called to, to reach people nothing like them and have a missional call. But for the average you and I, God, Jesus said it like this, I've made your name known to the men you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And, that, and they have kept your word. I pray for them. I don't pray for everybody, the whole world, but the ones you've given me. See, God's got some people who are your kind of people. They might be in your street, your neighborhood. They might be in your school, your university. They might be at your football club, soccer club. They might be, they might be in your parents' group. They might be your hairdresser. They might be your, your drug dealer. I mean, your barista. Your barista. Uh, that's the kind of drug dealer I'm talking about. Pharmacist, yes, exactly. God bless all the pharmacists in the house, Brent. Maybe it's your family, it's your neighbours, it's, it's your workmates, it's, it's, it's just people like you. God places you in a particular location, a, a work group, a people group, and He says, these are the kind of people I want you to reach. You can relate to them. You speak their language. You, you understand the pressures they're under. That's why for me, I do love, and I talk about it, I love doing a boot camp. I see Dan here, we, lo we love to do it together. And there, there's, a, there's a group of guys there, and, and, and I know, I, like I know that, that I'm the bridge for them to connect with God and to connect with church. And so I pray for them every day, and I, I try to, I, I, they beat me in all the sports and stuff, but that's okay. I just try to represent well, because that's, I, I want to take seriously this call to be a soul winner. I'm a soul winner. Is it slow? Is it steady work? Yes, it is. But here's what you've got to understand. I love Billy Graham did this research. He said, most people who got saved at his crusades met 11 different Christians and had 14 meaningful conversations in a journey towards salvation. That takes the pressure off all of us non-evangelists. Come on, we don't have to win everybody in every conversation. We don't have to bring out the, the gospel tracts and the four spiritual laws in every conversation. We just got to connect and represent and be normal and not, not talk about church or not, not talk about God. So when someone says, what do you do with yourself? You, you, what, 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 you know, what are you into? You go, you, you can just use that. as You're just ready to go. You're ready in season and out of season, Paul says. Oh, look, I work here. I'm a, I'm a plumber, but, but I also, I'm part of my youth ministry. I'm part of the, 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 the group of people at church who pack hampers and distribute them in the community. I'm part, that's my passion. And it's just that, bam, one conversation yeah. out of 14 conversations. And you played your part in the God team of leading people to Christ. That's number one, find your people. Number two, tap into your power. Your power. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We don't win arguments. We pull down arguments in the spirit. You see, it's quite possible to win an argument and to lose a person. 
So we're not out to win arguments on social media or in person. We're not out to fight. That's why I'm like, I think faith is often expressed in what, you're, what you don't say. Because you're, like Paul says, I'm trying to be all things to reach all people. So I'm trying to reach people. And I'm going to the prayer closet and I'm getting on my knees and, and we're saying, God, would you do something? I pull down those lies. I pull down that pride. I pull down that deception. I pull down those things spiritually that are blocking them from receiving the love of God. Because ultimately we want people to receive the love of God. Next year, we're, the last two years, of course, have been very interruptive to a lot of what we do in church. So next year, uh, the first Wednesday every month the, from 6 to 7 in the morning, we're going to be back to on-site prayer meetings, on-site here, on-site in Melbourne. And a big part of it is just I want us to pray together for people to meet Jesus. I want us to pray together for revival in our church. That's how God moves when we pray. So number one, we've got to know my people. Number two, my power is in the spirit realm. You don't have to be an excellent person at explaining the gospel. Just got to have some passion in prayer. And number three, discover God's pathways. This would be one of my many favorite scriptures. I've got so many, but this is one of them. 2 Samuel chapter 14 verse 14 says this, all of us must die eventually our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, He devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from Him. I, love, I, I just love this picture of God in heaven going, oh, that's, that's Harry. And I love Harry, but he's drifted. He's away from me. So I just see he's got a few angels and like, how are we going to get Harry back in the fold? How are we going to get him back loving me, surrendered to me? What are we going to do? And I just see angels going, well, well, here's, maybe you could come through that connection. That's the pathway. Well, maybe, maybe it'll be when Jamie Malcolm comes to church because Harry just loves t TV personalities. Maybe that's a pathway. Or maybe, maybe it's going to be a random connection at a coffee shop that I tee up next week because someone's praying. That's, that's another pathway. Or, or maybe, maybe the pathway is, is uh, you know, things are going to actually go really bad for him for a while. So he gets desperate and calls out. God designs pathways for those of us who are disconnected from Him because He loves us so much. So this is, the, this is the thing out of prayer, you and I. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm praying for that person. What's the pathway? What's, you've designed it. What's, what's the church service that I can invite them to? Who's the friend at church that I can have them over and have a barbecue with them because I think, oh, oh he's one of Shorty's kind of people. Come on, he's a unit and he's strong and he's got a rough past, but he loves his family. He's one of those guys. So let's have a barbecue together and, and connect. That's the pathway. Oh, if, only, if he could just meet Tony. Oh, he's a foodie who loves jet skiing and partying and, and just good times. So, so connect him. To, it's just, who, who is it? Introduce him to Tony this morning. Tony's story and background. And, and let Tony tell him his story when he hears it. Or, or maybe what you could do is get a message from a Sunday service about anxiety that related and just send it to him and say, hey, I've been thinking of you lately. I thought you might enjoy this message or, or I'm going to share this Facebook invite with you, or I'm, I'm going to do this. And you're like, God, what's your strategy? What's your pathway? You don't have to do it alone. 
God's got pathway. God is way more passionate about reaching lost people than any of us in this room at any moment. So I've just got to go, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me readjust. Help me have more joy like you do over salvation than anything else that I can do. And give me your strategy. And sometimes you'll be surprised. God will say, oh, that guy at your work. And you're like, no, no, not that guy. So no, that, that's the guy. I'm, I'm putting the screws on him right now. I'm, there's things that are getting tight in their world because I'm bringing them to that rock bottom place. And I want you to be there when they hit rock bottom. I want you to be there with a smile and an encouragement when everyone else has ditched them because they've been such a pain to everybody else and they've been prickly and hard to get on with. But I want you in the spirit of love to get around about them and, and then be there and then offer to pray for them or give them some cash or, or give them a gift or be kind because it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. The, that's what the Bible says. It's the kindness of God. It's not God going, you dirty sinner. It's the kindness of God. God, what's the act of kindness? I love the story of Russell and Marita and the neighbors bringing over melting moments while they were trying to win them to Jesus. Did they have little scriptures in the melting moments like fortune cookies or after a while they started just slipping in scriptures. But it's like, I could just see an angel going, I reckon melting moments is going to get him. I reckon you just take your melting moments for two months because we all know the weight of the man's anyway heart is through his stomach. What is it? Is it a hamper? What is it? What's God's pathway? Can we close our eyes together right now? Father, I ask for your help today for every one of us. God, that we would align our hearts to your heart. Lord, that we wouldn't become professional, church-going Christians. Help us, Holy Spirit. I'm asking that your burden would rest upon us. Lord, for every person who calls C3 Powerhouse home, our hearts would be aligned to your heart. That the true north of this church has been, will be, and will always be winning people to Jesus. We're a soul-winning church, God. Disciple-making. Let's just stand together right now. We're going to pray together for a few minutes. And if you need to, let's just start by repenting. If you need to, like me, as I was praying last night, saying, God, as I prepare this message, I want to make sure I get more joy out of one person coming back to you than anything else. So if you need to just say, Lord, don't beat yourself up. But just God, I'm sorry. My priorities have got out of whack. 
and I'm realigning them today, then just begin to talk. Just be, right now, begin to pray. Right now, begin to just repent. Ask God for His burden. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Lord, our true north is following you. Help us, God. And I want you just to say, Lord, who is it that are my people right now? Just give me one. Just let God give you one, two people right now in your world who He's devised pathways for, to show you a picture of them, to bring them to your remembrance, their, their name, someone, someone in your neighbourhood, someone at your work, someone in your social circle, someone in your school, wherever it might be, someone who's a friend in your family. Give me a wave when you're thinking of someone. Give me a wave when you've got someone. So many people. All right, let's begin to pray for them right now. Let's begin to pray, particularly over these next two weeks. Lord, who do you want me to invite to these Christmas services? Let's pray that people will say yes when they're invited. Yes, God. Father, as we ask people, we, are, we just pray right now. You said the weapons of our warfare are mighty. So we pull down every argument that will stop people being in the house of God. We pull down every excuse, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. We bind every spirit that tries to block people from coming to church. We Come on, let's raise our voices right now. We're praying, God. People will get in. People will come and meet with you. We're praying, Father. People come, people meet with you. People experience the power of God. God, you'd move, you'd move, you'd move. Father, show us your pathways. Show us the way that you're wanting to move. Show us, oh God, we pray. Oh God, show us, oh God, show us, oh God. Oh, we pray next Sunday morning, the following Sunday morning, we invite you, Holy Spirit, and the power of God to come, to move on hearts. Lord, to soften hearts that have been hardened to you, that prodigals will come back to you. Father, that those who are far from you will connect with you. We pray for the convicting power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for the love of God to pour out. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you, church.